Women Are Scary, a podcast that celebrates people of color writing in horror. In lieu of our monthly macabre mixer, we have a special episode with our featured author, Nuzo Ono, where we talk about her story, Ogale, death rituals from around the world, and what a just world might look like. So let's lean in and listen to some scary black Here, Nuzo Ono, so much to, I'm so, I just feel so grateful that you've agreed to do this and agreed oh, to let us. It. Thank you. <laughs> to let I'm equally grateful for the opportunity. Oh, no, this, this story, Ogali, uh, which we will have released, where everyone listening, we were, we're recording this right now in the summer, but this, you know, obviously the, the episode came out November, uh, so we're, you're hearing, we're like calling you from the past at this, in this moment right now. <laughs> um, but I kind of wanted to start like, right, like just dive into the deep end of this. So what I think is really stunning about this story is that in, in essence, our, our protagonist is dead already. It's, that's how it feels to me. Like the person that I'm supposed to be, that's guiding me through this story has already died in a way. It's like the adventure has happened and we're, we're coming in like almost at the end of the story. And somehow that is the story, which I thought was really amazing and evocative. And so I wanted to start with just talking about dying. Um, can you tell us a little bit about this, the soul release rituals and why you set your story in the middle of one? I mean, the soul release ritual is just basically another name for the burial rituals that will give the dead. Um, this is simply the rituals to give them a safe and smooth passage to the other realm and not mm -hmm. just the passage, but to keep them there when they get there. That way mm -hmm. we stop them from coming back either as benign or malevolent spirits. Um, and make sure that we are kept safe from their malice. So hmm. these rituals, these soul release rituals, it's of benefit both to the living and the dead because the dead get, gets to have a safe passage there. And we, the living, we get to protect ourselves from their malice if we don't do the right thing and hmm. as well get their blessings if we do right by them. And of course, soul release is something practiced by every culture, not just by Africans, but practically every culture. I mean, the last sacrament, for instance, it's a preemptive soul release where we give, the priest would give the dying, you know, the blood and the body of Jesus to give them a nice, safe journey to heaven. And burying people in coffins, it's another soul release ritual because, I mean, people have different vehicles to send their dead over some send them into the water mm. some burn them cremate them some hang them up in cliffs and let the eagles consume their bodies and help the soul soar right up to the heavens so mm. different ways of giving them the passage that's another form of soul release um even the very act of erecting um burial stones over graves that also was another form of a ritual that was designed to keep them there because 
remember the old yeah. Christians believed that in the final day, the dead would rise up for their final judgments. And so people panicked that some dead might <laughs> decide to arise ahead of schedule. And so they would put the gravestone on the head to keep them there in case they want to get up and wander off or on the feet to make sure if they don't just walk away. And in the olden days, they used to cut off the feet of the dead just to make yeah. sure if they decide to wake up early, they don't have any feet to wander off. So these are all weird and strange rituals that, you know, we still have gravestones still today. But in Africa, we have so many different release rituals. Mm. It could be from covering every reflective item, from mirrors to glass windows, which you cover with ash or black paint, mm. you know, TV. Yeah. Or it could be something as simple as burning all their personal items, you know, turning the picture over. Everything that you'll do, burying them, burying them with their things, the beloved things. And even some cultures um, in East Africa, what they do is if somebody dies harboring a grudge against somebody, they would bury them with different things like musical instruments and games, everything to give the angry spirit uh, busy, keep him busy in the grave so that <laughs> he doesn't come back to haunt the victim of their grudge. So there are so many things you do and all these things are just designed to please keep them there so they don't come back. And if we do right by them, bury them right, wash their bodies by the right people, they are mm. in the right way with the right ingredients, offer sacrifices to them, just do right by them with these rituals. That means we release their souls peacefully and protect ourselves as well. So when I was doing Ogali, I decided to set the story in this soul release setting, which is basically a wake. We have wakes mm. everywhere. Yeah, and you know, yeah. there are so many superstitions around wakes. You know, I mean, back home, they will say to you, don't go shaking anybody's hand during a wake because mm. you might be shaking the hand of a spirit, a ghost. So many, yeah. the wake opens the realm. It allows so many things to come in, you know, during a wake. And remember that during the wake, the soul of the disease hasn't gone over yet. It's right. still loitering around, you know. And so Ogali died young. And mm. people who die young before their time are usually notorious for being ghosts hanging around, clinging to life because right. they died suddenly, you know, and they don't want to go over. So the Ogali is one of those ghosts who died young, so she's likely to hang around. Another thing is she died from a curse, presumably a curse, yeah. from the, you know, the Hag Supreme, Nsudo. Um, and because she died from a curse, she would need a soul release, not just to release her young soul, but also to free her from the curse of the witch hag supreme. And this curse is one that if you die from that curse, it means you might, she would cause you to keep coming back in a vicious cycle of rebirths and dying young, just to mm. torment your family. Mm. So they had to do it. So released to you know, destroy that curse. And then we have the third complication now by this silly lad Amobi, who yeah. 
she's holding on to and imprisoning there. So they right. have to do another ritual to stop her from being a grudge spirit. So now she's a young dead, she's a victim of a curse, and she's a spirit with a grudge. And so I wanted to set the story in the middle of a wake because that's when anything can happen. Anything, mm. no matter how fantastical, can happen. Right. People are ready for that. And people have prepared. I mean, it felt like the entire community was ready, like on guard for something's going to happen. And, and they were quick to just jump in together and, and solve. I, I was really amazed by, you know, this young lad who came in and it's not as though people believe him right off the bat. He's denying. I feel like I read a lot of stories where it's like, you know, the man says something, everybody's like, oh yeah, but no one believes him. They're like, no, you did something because she's holding on to you. So this is clear. We believe her. She's not even alive. And like, here you are. So what did you do? What did you do? What did you do? And they immediately start like abusing him, you know, like (laughs) calling him names and all these things. And I, you know, in the middle of it, I started to feel bad for this guy. I'm like, maybe he really didn't do anything or she got the guy wrong. I don't know. Um, It was so, it was a little comical in a way, just like his inability to, to, uh, to, to, to distance, you know, detach himself from, from this body. And it felt like a wonderful visual metaphor of just like, She's not even saying anything. It's just the fact that she won't let she you go. She doesn't need to say. She doesn't need to. She doesn't because... need to. It's just this weight on you. You can't go anywhere. What are you going to do? Exactly. Wonderful visual exactly. representation of being haunted, you know? Yep. And you know, of course, we have a lot of superstitions about divine retribution. Mm, and so right. that's why sometimes when somebody dies from lightning, Instantly, everybody says it's divine retribution. The family must have done something for <laughs> lightning to kill them. It's a common belief. And because we have something in Igbo land called Ofonogu. Ofonogu mm. is basically the concept of having clean hands before the ancestors and yeah. the concept of having a right to the ancestors' divine justice. So if you come before the ancestors with the clean hands, you can expect them to give you divine justice. And so it's not surprising. Nobody doubts whatsoever that Ogali has got uh, the, the right to divine retribution against this young man. He must have done something. Hmm. There's no other explanation for it. He's done something evil. You know? That, I think that's a good segue into this, to my next question, because one thing that really struck me about what you said, I, don't, I did not know that the, the history of tombstones, that it was to keep the dead from rising yeah before time yes and that we have this is a long-held belief of humans that we feel this will happen or this can happen and i think that's interesting when you can considering our fascination with zombies now right zombies were kind of a sub you know like a sub thing a subcategory a genre in horror and they moved right into the mainstream right up front like there you know there's just so many so much and it's really kind of amazing just how how obsessed we are with with the dead rising in particular and coming to get us so you know Ogali has unfinished business and the village enforces the village to to reckon with that you know she forces her community to reckon with that so what do you think the unfinished business is that the dead have with us especially consider I mean Considering that we have this obsession with them rising, I feel as though we know <laughs> or we oh. have an inkling. So, yes, what do you feel the, the unfinished business is that the dead have with us? 
I mean, from the time anybody dies, it's rare because that's why you even have the, the, the Buddhist religion, you know, and, and concept of believing that um, you keep transcending, searching for the light, mm. you know, with each, each, you don't really die. It's a reincarnation. Each cycle you come back to, you know, keep reaching till you reach perfection um, and ascend to nirvana. So every human being, I believe, unless you now transcend into heaven or wherever you're going to, or reach the realm of the ancestors, always have unfinished business. We in Africa, we don't, the the heaven and things is a colonial creation. We believe in the realm of the ancestors. So that Mm -hmm. only a man, an old person that has reached, lived a righteous life, achieved the right things in the community lived a clean and honest and moral life and dies at a ripe old age, will get to the realm of the ancestors. And of course, when they get there, there's no need to come back because they can now settle there and watch over the living, blessing Mm -hmm. their family. It's like every day I light candles to my mother. You know, I've got a lovely little shrine to my mother. Her pictures are there. Her candles are there. The incense, everything. And I go there every morning and I say, mom, good morning. How are you? How's my brother? How's my sister, my niece, my cousin? The whole family with you. Because I know she has reached that realm of the ancestors. And I believe she watches over me. Now, when other people that die, I mean, in Africa, we always have a saying that nobody dies a natural death. There's got to mm. be something behind it. It could be a jealous neighbor. It could be somebody going to the witch doctor. It could be witchcraft. It could be the evil eye. There's so many things behind every death. You just don't take any death for granted. Mm. And so going from that premise that everybody, every death is a reluctant death, mm. then it means that everybody who dies has unfinished business. They, they want to come back either, you know, we believe in reincarnation. They want to come back and reincarnate back into the family, hold on to the family, experience the family they left in the past. Or they've got enemies who were responsible for their death and they want to come back for vengeance, which is why a lot of my stories deal with uh, uh, ghosts with unfinished business coming back for vengeance because inevitably, you know, that would happen. So in this case, in this story, we see clearly that Ogali, even though she hasn't been buried yet, she's got unfinished business. Just like every human, I believe if heaven forbid I die today, I would be considered someone who's died not at the right time. And who knows? I would have unfinished business. I love my children. I, would, I might want to cling on to them, come back and be there then. <laughs> so it depends, you know, yeah. on what the ghost wants to do. Some of them come back, as I said, as malevolent spirits filled with malice. Others just hang around. They are lost, especially the young ones. We believe that they are lost. They are not aware that they are dead. And so they just float and hang around till somebody guides them to the light. And then you get the benign ones who are just happy to cling onto the place they left. And that's why we Mm. have these burial rituals, which are designed to separate the dead from anything that would cause them to cling to the life they left. And so in some African cultures, for example, people would dig a hole in the wall 
and push the dead body out of the hole and walk a zigzag path to the grave. And when they bury them, they'll walk another zigzag path, seal up the hole. And that way, if the dead decide they want to come back home, they won't find their way home easily <laughs> because the hole has been sealed and the zigzag pattern has been taken and the shoes worn are discarded so you don't bring back the soil from the grave. Oh, wow. And they have all these little, little rituals just to make sure, please don't come back, stay there, no matter what your unfinished business is. Mm, this makes me think of just how haunted we must be. I mean, in terms of just thinking of like, what did what unfinished business do the dead have with us? If you think of just everything that's happened recently and how many people have yes. reluctantly passed on. And it is yes. now at a point where whatever ritual, whatever your beliefs are, whatever your ritual is, we have not really had an opportunity to do that, to give that, to mourn the people that have passed. And so it is just one societal, global, collective, unfinished business. I actually read, right. something, I read something on CNN about a phenomenon happening right now of people just seeing their loved, their loved, loved ones. Mm. Seeing, it's like a general, people are seeing things. They are saying that because, as you say, because of the, 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 the COVID uh, pandem uh, 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 pandemic, the yeah. way people had had to, the uh, abandonment of all the burial rituals we had, people dying alone without their lost ones, people mm. being buried, not in the right way they used to be buried, without the community, people not having time to grieve, people dying unexpectedly. That there is that strong energy. CNN covered it. It was an amazing thing, yeah. saying that so many people are experiencing hauntings. They are seeing yeah. their loved ones, you know. Right. And when you think about it, we live, I mean, I always say that that's why you have people who can see. Um, mm. You have the psychics, you have the mediums, you have all these people that experience uh, the, the others, as I call them, you know, and they are here with us. It's just a matter of if you're perceptive or sense you know, uh, uh, to right. them, and you can sense them. Not everybody has that skill, you know. So there's nothing to be afraid, I think. I always say to myself, there's nothing to be afraid about the dead, because we are all spirit. When it boils down to it, mm. we're all spirit, spirit beings. Right. They're just one without the body. Right. One is corporeal and the other one isn't. And not being able to grieve, you know, again, going back to whatever the soul release rituals of your community, of your culture, not being able to grieve is just, is taxing, it's wearing. How can that not have it? How can you not feel haunted? Just not having this time to slow down and take stock of what has been lost. Exactly, and, and not even having the chance to say goodbye. Yeah. Remember I was saying to my daughter, just imagine, usually when someone is dying, your loved ones are the last people you see. They surround you, you see their faces, they hold your hand. This time, the last thing you see is somebody dressed in a spacesuit. <laughs> You're already terrified, yeah. You're uh. already petrified. And there's nobody holding your hand because nobody wants to be contaminated. And the last thing you see is the scary image in a white spacesuit keeping their distance from you. And you're calling out and you're wondering, why are they not with me? 
because as you're dying, you're not even remembering anymore the laws of COVID, that there is social distancing, there is all right. these things. Your mind is gone. All you know is that the people you expect to be there with you are not there. You are mm. living filled with so much anguish. Some are living filled with so much anger. They betrayed me. They let me down. Why weren't they there? You know, without remembering, this is what happened. Mm. And some are just filled with so much loneliness and pain and anguish. And of course, with that, it is inevitable that there is a lot of unfinished business. They will haunt. They will yeah. come back for answers, you know. And so will we. I mean, we have unfinished business. And on the other side of it, people who didn't get a chance to say goodbye, people who didn't get a chance to do all the things that you're talking, you know, disease happens. Uh, but that, you know, people who experience that loss, who are left, the survivors, you know, the difficulty of surviving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there just it feels as though we all need to just take a moment and like, as a, so as, a, as humanity, as a human race, just like, can we just I'm take just a couple of days of observing? Yeah, like take a breath. Because that, yes. that is a lot. That's a lot. Because when you think about it, we are also collectively, the ones that are grieving, are also collectively holding back those spirits from mm. transcending. We, are, we, we have unfinished business too. We, yeah. we, we haven't done what we haven't had time to let them go. So we don't want them to go. We are holding on to them with our energy. We are thinking of them. We are crying. We are grieving. We are dreaming about them. And so it's a, it's a yin-yang thing. It's a dual mm. energy pulling from both ways. They don't want to go and we don't want to let them go. You know. So yeah. it's inevitable that this dual unfinished business between the living and the dead, it's going to result in what we are now seeing CNN covered in that uh, report about the hauntings going on now. Right. Yeah. Hauntings and also just people, strange behavior. Now that I don't know if you guys are in lockdown or, or, you know, people are going in and out of lockdown all over the world, just the back and forth of that. And, you know, I've definitely been, in, been reading about folks going into places and just acting strangely. It's released everything in, in us. It's made us, people who used to be repressed, it's made them more open. Now, as you said, there are bigger things to consider. And so human beings are no longer worrying about the little petty things or worrying about the little niceties in life. Everybody has been, as you said, so cooped up, cooped up and so enclosed that now it's like a tunnel vision of just do what you want to do. Do what you want to do. There's a frantic energy mm. to life. I say to my daughter when she goes on walks, I say to her, you used to go for your evening walks but remember that the human beings you're meeting now are not the same as the ones you used to meet pre-pandemic. Mm. So there are frustrated people out there. There are crazy people out there. The pandemic has created so many things. Be careful.
but you are a horror writer in the middle of a living horror, <laughs> right? Like we, this is what we're doing. And so I think it's interesting, again, the story of Ogali, you know, there's a strong theme of justice in this story. So how do you define, how do you define justice? What would a just world look like? It's like two questions. How do you define justice? Second, what would a just world look like? For me, I would, justice for me would be a collection of both legal justice, divine justice, karmic justice, and ancestral justice. Mm. I would say I want all of them together. Justice has to be swift. I don't believe in, you know, uh, revenge is better served cold. No, I want the justice to be swift because as I say, justice delayed is justice denied. Let the person, let the Mm. guilty, um, I might be called vicious, but that's what I believe. Um, if, If you do something, get it back. An eye for an eye, and I'd say an arm and a limb for an eye <laughs> yes. if, if, if you if you harm my own I would want you harmed a million times you know mm. the legal justice I'm dicey about because it depends on where you are we are we as black people we know we've been denied justice mm. so the legal justice is not always a just one for us and for other people a lot of other people as well who are caught in the shenanigans and the trappings of the legal justice where they can play around you know and I say to myself so legal justice is just something on the peripheries of justice for me I would rather have the karmic justice I would rather have the divine justice and definitely the justice of the ancestors so that nobody escapes uh, uh, the consequences of their evil Hmm. and when we come to my idea of what a just society would be would simply be a, an equal one, an equal and fair society. One where we all have equality to everything, not just to wealth and to housing and to, 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 to justice and everything else, but an equality that is, is also fair, that takes into consideration a person, Mm. their culture, their upbringing, their beliefs. I mean, there was um, there, a while ago, we had a, an instance here where a young man uh, died. And the young man was from a, an African culture and they were very religious. As you know, Africans are extremely religious. Yeah. And when he died, before he died, they had been to the pastors and the pastors had tried to exorcise the demons from him and everything. And he eventually died. And the police, when they came and arrested the family and they took the family to the courts, claiming that they literally committed manslaughter. Um, the, the, the statement the judge made always stuck with me because he just felt that by saying that they called in the pastors and you know the soul warriors to carry out all these exorcisms, it's a crime. It's not normal. It's not reasonable. To you as a white judge from your culture, it may not be reasonable. From the culture they came from, it is absolutely reasonable. And so if he had been tried by a judge conversant with his culture, conversant with that culture of bringing Mm. in, you know, pastors to get rid of, you know, demons and exorcisms, then he would have received, the family would have received uh, uh, some form of 
share fair justice. Yeah. You know, so that's what I mean by even though it's equality of justice, but let it be the justice that is based on fairness, which right. we don't always get. Right. Okay. Yeah. So basically restorative justice, right? There's cultures yeah. where the way that they solve a problem is restorative. It's not, it's not, not just punitive, punitive, which doesn't necessarily yeah. co- provide a resolution. And if exactly. you're, you're looking at it from your perspective and you don't understand the culture, it just kind of seems, you know, like this guy said, it's unreasonable. I also think it's yeah. funny that he said that considering that Christians do perform exorcisms and do in Thank fact you. believe Can't in demons. Perform exorcisms. <laughs> I'm just you like know. all of the films I've seen about exorcisms are rooted in Judeo-Christian culture so I'm surprised that he was like this is unreasonable I'm like really but they don't think that's well, what the Catholic you know, Church is all about. <laughs> that is what the Catholic Church but when it's practiced by a black family suddenly it's mumbo jumbo is voodoo and yeah. all these things yeah which is okay. why I always say I would go brother with the karmic and the divine and the ancestral justice because those kind of justice do not go through the legal shenanigans. They don't have the thinking. It's instantaneous. It's retributive. It's not thinking about the culture or anything. It's just pure black and white, pure undiluted justice, giving you what you deserve. You know, I I, I always say to myself, it's funny, um, I've had situations where things have happened to me mm. and instantly I would say to myself, thank you universe, thank you universe that you're giving me the justice now for what I've done. I know exactly. And people always know, trust me, when you mm. get retributive justice from a karmic or divine one or the ancestors, you know, because when it comes to you, you don't need to wonder what have I done to deserve this? You know. Yeah. And many times, <laughs> yep. You know, many times I would say to myself, thank you, I'm getting my justice now. That means I'm not carrying it over to my next life. You know, Mm. hit me with it, hit me with it, give it to me. Let me suffer the pain now. And I'm free from what I've done. And I think if all human beings uh, believe or at least are aware and recognize and respect that there is a greater force out there that can punish you for something, it would make us think twice because we know we can't depend on solicitors or lawyers. We can't depend on judges or policemen. We can't depend on human beings to circumvent our you know, punishment. Mm. Then it makes uh, you think twice. Yeah, I also think, um, you know, it's wonderful to have that just because the house are you gonna learn? right like it's it's also I mean let's say you're somebody who doesn't believe in reincarnation let this let be held accountable hold yourself accountable because that is there's growth in that you know like it's the thing is like I always it's always interesting people don't want to be blamed for things you know when they've done something wrong like you said folks know you know you did something you wrong. know and when you're doing the <laughs> gaslighting or the little like tricky maneuvers to get yeah. out of being held accountable you know what you're doing you uh, know because you don't because you you're embarrassed you yeah 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 you know <laughs> because you're embarrassed because you feel shame about the thing and I, I mean, I've learned, I know those feelings and I've been guilty of doing my own little like sneakiness of like, no, no, no. But, um, but ultimately when I just kind of took blame, when I just took it, I was like, oh, on the other side of that is a solution. Now I have the power. It's actually quite empowering because now you can do something. Now you can make a different choice. Um, 
but people, I don't know, they see it as like being a victim somehow, like something's being done to, I'm not really sure. It's like, if you just took responsibility, it would actually be less painful exactly. than what you're doing. <laughs> With that, you hit the word taking responsibility. I think we don't want to take responsibility because of pride, because of shame, because of embarrassment, because of so many things. So I think it's, it, it takes a lot of courage to take responsibility, mm. to, to just do right. And once you've done it, there's a sense, a freedom, a freeing, you know, of just saying, oh, I've washed myself clean. It's what yeah. the Catholics do. They go for confession. You know, it's a way of going to confession to the priest yeah. and just confessing all your sins to the priest. And then you're free. You know, I had I had a good friend who was a very strong Catholic and she would say she was going out with a married man and she would say to me, oh, don't worry. I would go and I'll confess. And once I've confessed, I've washed myself free of the, of the scene. And then she goes right back again to him. And she carried on the wisdom because as far as she was concerned, the act of confession freed her from guilt, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, there are different ways of freeing ourselves. We don't have to <laughs> yeah, that's one way, right? Uh, but I do think like, yeah, taking responsibility, accountability is this, is this, is a loaded word now, you know, and a lot of the like diversity and inclusion training and this burgeoning, this growing industry because of, because finally, like we can, where everybody admits that racism exists, um, (laughs) you know, then the the role of accountability, accountability becomes a very, a very heavy word because it's like, okay, if we're going to do this, then folks who have wronged people have to hold themselves accountable. And it's not just about, saying you're sorry like we're past that and if we're going to do something that involves growth or restorative karmic justice like you say ancestral restorative justice some kind yes you have to like get to that place where you're like I it's there's no sneakiness you just got to be like I did it and it was wrong (laughs) and be ready to be ready to face the consequences I mean in in all Gali the story the the father eventually had to yeah face the consequences he had to hold his hand up and say you know, this is what happened. This is what happened. This is what I did. This was my part in it. Like that was, that was what needed to happen. And then at last, and at that point to, yes, to circle it back to Ogali, at that point, the entire community was suffering. And I love this about the story is that it starts with just like these two people. And then you see this domino effect until it takes over everything. everyone everyone it disrupts everybody's day (laughs) it affects other people's families like it just it just kind of grew like a cancer almost and you know it's a cancer he had he had just got to a place where it's like if you don't do this everybody's gonna go down with you with you exactly and you remember that uh, uh, what we call it mourning and grief has always been a communal affair. It's never an individual thing. You know, it's only since, in fact, it's only since in Europe, especially since the plague, that it started being less of a communal thing. The early plague they had in the past, where people were afraid that if you go to the house of the people that died of the plague, uh, yeah, you, know, you would you get, would get sick. And so yeah. mourning was no longer, but back home, 
you know, and in many other cultures, it's still a very communal thing. People come together to share the grief, to share it with the family that's lost, because we all know it's going to be our turn. And when it happens, we want others around us as well. So, of course, yeah. everything that was happening was happening before the community. The community was seeing witnessing this atrocity. The community were learning lessons from what they were witnessing. And that's why at the end, we now know the lesson they learned, you know. Yeah. Yeah. She becomes this symbol. I like that a lot. She lives on. <laughs> she lives on. She lives on. I mean, it's like now I look at George, George Floyd's statue. I look at that picture, that iconic picture of George mm. Floyd. And I say, in fact, when I went back to read back the story of Ogali, that was the image that came to me. I know I wrote that story way before George Floyd, but once I saw that iconic picture of George Floyd, I said, yes, he lives on. You know, mm. he's the justice that has come from this single individual. Mm. It takes a single individual to bring a worldwide justice. And just as Ogali has done for her community, George Floyd has done it for the entire black community regardless of your country yeah yeah and it's it's interesting the role of um technology you know ogali is a village it's remote it's not i don't know what time it is and it it, it seems timeless this your story could be the past it could yeah. be the present they could just be someplace anytime not, not on the you know on the on the system on the circuit they don't have a router you know what I mean? they, they just don't have wi-fi there um no but you know like but it could be at any time and so you sort of see some similarities in in this story playing out on a global scale because now we are all connected and i know what's hap i can see what's happening in other places in a way that i couldn't before i oh, i can get yeah. firsthand account from someone on the ground who's got the phone out and is showing me right up on it you know so it really changes the way you feel about pretty much everything and it, it's difficult to handle all the grief once you have access to everyone's grief everyone's grief um, yes however as you said it brings about these kind of global moments where this thing that happened in this city and in, in the U.S. then I mean you see it or even just what's happening in Canada with the the bodies of the children that they're finding at the Thank schools, you. like just that I know that and then pulling down those monuments too. And I'm there, I'm there, I'm in it with them, with their karmic justice, with their ancestral justice of even other diasporas because of technology. Uh, it's, it's an, it's a crazy time. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, governments around the world are having a reckoning because of this, because of one man. I don't think there's any human being in the world that would say to you, we don't recognize the face of George Floyd. Yeah. No. And no. so these symbols, this technology is making, are making these symbols in these moments. It's a symbol. It's time, timeless. A symbol. And timeless. Thank you. And, timeless and larger than life, you know. Um, that's interesting. It's interesting to think about that. And what will come next then? How will we integrate this tech and in, this tech into our rituals? Because we are still, like you said, spirit beings, even with all our fancy screens. <laughs> exactly. I mean, what I just say to myself now is that 
because of the globalization of the world and people being exposed to different cultures and different things, I think we are becoming aware. People are seeking, people are reading, people are understanding different things. Yeah. And prior to the whole Black Lives Matter movement, when you would have publishers and things that would say, oh, no, we don't understand how to market this story, or we are not interested in this story outside the, you know, Western culture we are aware of, things have changed. Yeah. People are open. People are ready to, re to learn, to discover new things. And I think it's a good thing. It's a good thing for us, you know. And who knows? After the pandemic, we might return to the familiar rituals we have, you know, all the familiar rituals we used to have prior to the pandemic, burial rituals so that when our loved ones die, we are there with them. They tell us, they whisper to us, they tell us their last words. They mm. tell us their last wishes if they can. We give them the right burial. We, we are there to follow them, you know, down to the cemetery or to the crematorium, wherever, and to say goodbye to them in the right way, you know, and to go to church if they are, they are, they are, they are religious folks and celebrate their lives, basically, yeah. you know. And hopefully all those rituals will return the right way they used to be instead of what we have now where nobody is there. They are being sent off alone in a lonely, isolated and painful mm. journey. Mm. Yes, there's going to have to be a mass, um, I don't know, day of observance, a memorial. I think once once we can do this, that would be so lovely. I think that I think everybody needs it. <laughs> yeah, a worldwide, a worldwide. Oh gosh, do you know I can actually visualize that where everybody around the world has a one day of memorial. Yeah, that is, you know, everything is a. Oh my gosh, that would be beautiful. We just call it the memor worldwide memorial day. I mean, yeah, we don't really. We can just say like. Morning day, it doesn't really need much more than that. And all the countries, all the governments are there holding services, holding that memorial for them. Oh my gosh, that would be beautiful. Yeah, you know? I hope. Yes. <laughs> I grateful. Really hope. Grateful. So it's a collective thing, yeah. you know, to just say goodbye to them the right way. Mm. Well, thank you so much uh, for this incredible conversation. And for your incredible story and, and agreeing to have us produce it, uh, I'm, I'm thrilled. I will definitely be reaching out to you again for season three for new stories that you've got. Uh, is there any particular place where people can go to find out about your work? Uh, anything that's coming up now? Um, I'm having a story. I'm having a novella coming out in the um, um, magazine of science fiction. Uh, mm of fantasy and science fiction this September, October uh, edition. Okay. Yeah. yeah, the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. I have a, a, a novella called The Abomination. It's oh. coming out. Yes. So that's next month. It's coming out. So that would be a, a good read, I think, for anybody here. So everybody's hearing this in November. As I said, we're recording it in August. So this means that it's already out. That's what that means. Where can they go get it? Can they go to your website? Like what's, what's the best way to just get to your work? I just think the best thing to just go to amazon.com. You'll find every work I have. Of All right. Amazon.com, you guys. 
That's it. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for having me and stay blessed. tuning in to Black Women Are Scary. If you'd like to support Scary Black Women, please leave a rate and review. You can also check out next month's episode, The Witching Hour, by Ogana Chebwe, Donald Ekbeki. Till next time.